Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 261. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, episode two, Superhuman Law, directed by Kat Coiro, written by Jessica Gao, who created the series for television. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law is a Kevin Feige production. Before the spoiler reviewing begins, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is a podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts, where we talk about extra MCU topics and big news like Matt Shackman being in talks to direct Fantastic Four and looks like it's basically a done deal. So you can hear us talk about that and other MCU and even occasionally non-MCU topics if you go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or if you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there and subscribe to hear the show. And then also we invite you to follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their thoughts. And now, on with our show. Paul Herman, how you doing? Well, it's been a crazy week. Uh, a lot of revelations, but uh, none more revealing than the She-Hulk episode. I'm not sure what was revealed necessarily, but actually I do, but we'll get to that in later. But yeah, very crazy week for me personally. Uh, not a bad, not bad, but just uh, interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about She-Hulk um, and uh, and obviously other, thing, other things as well. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah, I am so excited to just continue diving into this series, and we're inching closer to when I can solve the first world problem of getting a She-Hulk episode that is new to me, because I'm still a little bit ahead and still compartmentalizing, not even humble a little bit. But I I really yeah. enjoyed this episode, even though it has, what, like 95% less Hulk in it. Um, still some, mm -hmm. not 100% less Hulk, and also some exciting things potentially with where what we see Hulk is up to uh, in this episode. But really, right now, the conversation is about She-Hulk. And before we get into all the nitty-gritty details, Paul, I would just initially share that uh, I thought this was really funny. It has mm -hmm. maybe my favorite joke in the series so far, or at least top five uh, somewhere in there when we get to an Incredible Hulk reference later on in the episode. Uh, but there's so much uh, that continues to go on with this series that is so funny. Uh, also, uh, a casting choice that I just totally love and flipped for as soon as I saw this episode and was watching it unfold. So many things to love about this episode. It continues to be very, very funny. But I also think the storytelling and the character work, uh, especially for Jennifer Walters, as played perfectly by Tatiana Maslany, is just so on point. Uh, and I love where this character is at currently in her journey and, and how it's all being portrayed and unfolding. So two episodes in, I continue to be a, a really big fan of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Did this episode hold up for you uh, coming off of a first episode that you absolutely loved? Because we know on Twitter, you're not saying anything. If somebody can somehow pierce the veil and be able to get through <laughs> your very vague gift tweets about these things to gauge how you feel, uh, mm. then a credit <clears throat> to them uh, for being able to read that correctly. But for yeah. most of the world who can't, what did you think? 
Well, uh, and for uh, I, I've realized now that when I use GIFs, I find films that I just will identify a, a movie with for random reasons. And this one, for whatever reason, for She-Hulk, I've, I've adopted a, Almost Famous, one of my favorite movies of all time. So it'll be clues with Almost Almost Famous famous for uh, for here on out, I guess. Um, I, I I love this episode again. Um, it's crazy because I'll you know I'll I'll be watching things online. I'll see people just kind of be like, I didn't like it. I don't like. It. They just dislike it and again, not for just just reasons of not, them not liking it. And I'm, I just I can't. Be, I'm surprised, and I don't know if I'm watching the same show as other people. I have no idea, but it's crazy to me that people can just dislike this movie, this show so much because I think it's so like fun. It's I, I've said this before on the last show. And in this Marvel, I felt like had has a lot more heart behind it, obviously, and there's a lot more it's a different kind of story. But that's kind of what I liked about it, despite not loving necessarily that the first episode and the last episode was like are probably my least favorites. But I liked everything so much in between, and even other aspects of those episodes I, I liked. Um, but what I liked about what they're doing with the show is they're trying to do something different, and they're, they're trying to really embrace, I think, the aspects of the television medium. Um, shield definitely feels like a movie to me still, Sean, but like, I mean, I don't, and I don't think like Miss Marvel was like this. I don't think even Moon Knight was like this. Obviously WandaVision wasn't Winter Soldier, I think. Um, and Falcon Winter Soldier had a little more of this feel kind of similar, uh, similarity, but it feels like it's just, we're, we're getting cut. We're, we're breaking at the uh, certain parts of the movie because they're, they're so short and compact mm. And, and it's not a bad thing, but it's what it feels like with some of the sub uh, subplots are doing a little bit here. Um, but I say all that to still, I, I just really enjoying what we're getting. It's so different. And, but it feels like she Hulk to me, you know, and yes, you know, for people who have problems with it, not being completely like the whole, the comics or what, whatever it, to me, the MCU does a great job of adapting from page to screen. It's not kind of one for one. It's very hard. And sometimes, in my opinion, even as someone who loves the medium of comic books, especially Marvel comic books, you can't just do a one for one adaptation of the character or any character. Sometimes you have to adapt a little bit. That's the beauty of Kevin Feige is finding the balance of finding what makes it tick, but also trying to you know repurpose it for the mainstream audience. With She-Hulk, I feel they tapped in completely, in, completely into it. And I do, I do know that with the whole going back and forth between Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk, that is a little bit more new, um, I'd say, more newer in the last, I'd say, 10 years, if, if 10, 15 years. And I don't know. I, I like it. I like the fact they're going back and forth. And I like the fact that there's not necessarily a, two different people per se, as far as we know right now. Um, but I like it. I like the idea of this more of a lighthearted approach to the MCU. It just brings more uh, real it brings a more realistic idea that the MCU is not just one kind of thing, but it's a broad, broad thing. And there's so many different aspects of this universe that we love so much. And it just, I didn't, again, it, you, you have to keep it fresh. And I, to me, She-Hulk is, just, is completely fresh and a great thing to watch. Well, to, so to something after watching so heavily emotionally, like, like Moon Knight to even like a more heartfelt thing, like Miss Marvel, it's a different aspect of the MCU. And I like that we're getting it and it's and not in the same like movie fashion. It's just different. So I like the fact they're giving us so much different things with it. So yeah, She-Hulk is, is winning for me so much and, uh, I I'm enjoying it so much so far. Yeah. I'm really loving the show. And I think that the way the way the show is structured, I, I definitely hear that point about how right now, two episodes in, it does feel like 30-minute chunks of a movie as opposed to true TV formatting. I think in terms of the 
the comedy of it, there's a lot of it that does play, that still does play like a half hour comedy, but structurally within the narrative, it's not necessarily getting there all the way. But without giving too much away, I would say the structure does evolve as the series goes on. And I think it evolves in ways that very much fit within television structure and also ways that kind of fit within comic book structure that I think are really interesting and enjoyable. But I don't want to say any more than that to get into. I certainly can't explain why I feel that way without starting to spoil things. So uh, I'll leave that alone until we get to episodes three and four coming up. But I think what they're really doing a good job of is balancing it. And as far as showing that Jennifer Walters you know, doesn't have the other guy in her head the way that Bruce Banner did. I like that in a lot of ways because I, I certainly like differentiating these two characters. And if you're going to have a different Hulk in the MCU, let's make it a very different experience that is part of this being a completely different person. So all of that makes sense to me. That doesn't mean, though, that whether it's this series or some other point in the MCU, that there's not going to be a savage She-Hulk. And even when they get to, even if or when they get to that point, I don't think it's going to be quite like the Savage Banner Hulk or anything like that. It's still going to be unique to Jennifer Walters, but we've seen glimpses of it, right? Like it seemed to be there in her initial transition, even though she just kind of described it as this overwhelming intensity until she got a handle on it. But there was there were hints at that in her initial change, uh, first couple changes into She-Hulk. And then even during that fight, right, with Hulk uh, in Mexico, like we've seen that it's it's there. The, the savage She-Hulk potential is there and may end up showing up by the end of this series. If not, then somewhere else in the MCU. And that's the other thing. Like you can't expect that with characters who've been around for decades that in their first go of it, especially within their first two episodes of a show, so like an hour's worth of She-Hulk, what character in MCU history has ever had all of their comic book work and phases and everything acknowledged and portrayed within the first hour of them being in the MCU? None of them. So these characters have to have an opportunity over time, uh, excuse me, over time to be able to actually show some of the different things that you've seen in the comic books. That's what happened with Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and Bruce Banner and on down the line. So it just takes time and it's really more about enjoying the, enjoying the journey along the way. And I find it very easy to enjoy this journey. And now let's get into it uh, step by step, which is the wrong sitcom reference for this episode. And we'll see why later on. But the world is reacting to She-Hulk. She has appeared in public to save the day in court because it was that superpowered influencer Titania fleeing traffic court. And that is where, as the news is reacting to this, it's like a chick Hulk, a She-Hulk. And now there's a name which is what Smart Hulk told her last week, which is that you generally don't get to pick your name. They're going to give you a name, and that's it. Because uh, that's actually true in the MCU, right? Didn't they call uh, Tony Stark Iron Man in a newspaper? <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a name that he came up with because it was really the suit was really more of a titanium alloy. So, yeah, that's true. Superheroes don't uh, generally don't always get to pick their names, and She-Hulk didn't get to pick her. She's not a fan of the name, but... Uh, really quickly, though, before we move on, just this idea of making Titania a superpowered influencer. 
Obviously, it's very, very modern. Uh, it's very much of the moment or the past several years, I guess, for as long as that's been a thing. Not super powered influencers, but influencers in general. Uh, so that's a good spot for the show. And I love the way that the marketing has leaned into it. Like, so as they introduce what Titania is in this week's episode, all of a sudden now you have uh, Titania has her own social accounts across Marvel stuff, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever else. Uh, I think that's a really cool touch that allows the character to exist in and outside of the show, which is very fitting when we have a show where the main character is breaking the fourth wall and talking us through this story. So I thought that was really cool. And just the world reacting to it in a way that we would kind of expect the world to uh, react to it, except, you know, within the context of, well, this is a world where superheroes commonly exist. But Jennifer Walters is reluctant to be a superhero as she shows up at the legal ease bar and grill and the crowd is chanting her name before she goes inside. Jen hates the name. Nikki tells her the name doesn't even really matter. Uh, but to embrace this whole idea of being a superhero and giving the people what they want. So she does change into She-Hulk to walk into the bar as she hopes the name doesn't stick. Uh, the bar scene I thought was really funny. I mean, you have Dennis, who, of course, being the resident jerk of the show, shows up and is like, it's nepotism. That's how she got her superpowers or whatever it may be. Uh, so Dennis doing a, a good job of being a terrible person, uh, I thought was really funny. But then also some of the other jokes, I mean, like the one from the trailer, being a superhero is for billionaires, narcissists and orphans for some reason. Um, and Jennifer Walters just resisting this idea of being a superhero and not wanting that role for herself. I think it's even more interesting as the episode goes on, mm -hmm. and I'll explain why as the episode goes on, but we definitely see the downsides of it, right? Mm -hmm. She did the right thing. Nobody can blame her for what she did. She couldn't just let those people get flattened by a desk. She had to step up uh, and, and step in in that moment. But doing the right thing comes at a cost because now, because of that, GLK and H, her opponent in the trial, the opposing law firm was able to, even though Jen totally won, after the fact, she doesn't get to because they had it declared a mistrial because the jury favored Jennifer Walters because she became a superhero before their very eyes and saved all of their lives. So it gets declared a mistrial, and this feels like the kind of thing that's going to happen more often than not. So her boss shows up to not only give her the bad news about the mistrial, but also say that she is fired because, again, this is a thing that is likely to happen uh, in the future, so they just can't be associated with Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, much as she hates the name. But this is classic superhero storytelling in a lot of ways because it is the cost of being a superhero, sometimes the cost of doing the right thing, and it certainly explains a lot of the reasons why Jennifer Walters uh, would resist this uh, at first. But I think it's also, while you're going through some of those classic tropes, you've got to be entertaining in your own way, unique to the vision, the experience, the personality of the character, and they totally do that with Jennifer Walters uh, in this sequence. And I love the bit where she is enjoying that Hulk metabolism, having drinks, but when she has to turn to back to Jennifer Walters for her boss, now she's stone cold drunk uh, and can't help it because of that shift in the metabolism. So this real, you know, just getting us back into this story and what this is going to mean and the consequences for Jennifer Walters based on the final scene of the last episode, all that worked really well for me. I'm going to get one minor criticism out of the way. The, the the fact that they fired her like that night at the bar, it just felt it's a little too convenient for me, which is, again, I, I get it. I understood what the purpose of that was, but 
it just was like that would never happen. And I know I got to suspend my you know disbelief. I'm watching a show about superheroes. That just kind of felt a little bit more. We need to figure this. Where do we do this? We'll just do it at the bar. Okay. It's like, ah, hey, whatever. That that aside, um, I did like that. Yeah, that you, uh, you, you do call her in the next day. And also, if it's obvious that your employee that you're firing is inebriated, you don't have that conversation with them. Yeah, so, yes, yeah. there, there were things about the reality of that, that that don't work. But also, I know that's not really what the show is about. And it's just, it is exactly. set up. So, it's a valid criticism of like this the the truth of this is is a little lacking but the point is we've we've got to make we've got to put right. the cost here to Jennifer Walters and we we can't waste another scene just to have her get fired let's just do it now yeah yeah and and again that's for saving time keeping things i i get that part and also obviously you want to set up the bit with the, with the with the alcohol thing which i actually thought was funny i actually thought it was oh really yeah i good. thought that was great yeah, that, that was a good, like, you know, you're staying in the continuity of your own show and you, you set up that fact that, like, you know, She-Hulk can handle her liquor or can, you know, absorb it all. And then obviously when she goes back to Jennifer Walters, it's like, you know, you know, goodbye. So I like that. That was a great setup. So that's why I didn't, like, just throw my throw something at the TV because that part was, I thought that was still clever with the alcohol bit. It is That's, like, again, the weakest part of the episode. I did really like the idea of setting up uh, Titania to be this social um, uh, media influencer that has superpowers. There's something really, I think, again, modern about it. Titania in, in the comic books is just a supervillain and is just like this really angry lady who, you know, Dr. Doom gets super, gives her superpowers in Secret Wars and then, you know, ends up just being in this uh, in this uh, off on and off again relationship with, with uh, the absorbing man, you know, and joins the Masters of Evil every once in a while. So there's a... She doesn't have a lot of depth. I, I think Slot did a little bit more. I think if I remember, if I remember correctly, when we read those comics a while mm-hmm. ago, Sean. But still, even then, there wasn't that much. So there, I mean, to me, she's a a co- complete clear palette to like do whatever you wish to. And I, I'm I'm really intrigued how they're going to portray her. And I do think it's interesting that they're they're bringing in the social media aspect because, you know, what you know it's realistic, right? If you were a, you know, if you were someone out there and had superpowers, you probably would have some kind of social media influence at some point. Maybe not everyone, but someone like maybe Titania, we're going to see that personality of the, of the, she's obviously an antagonist. She's probably going to have a, a real, what's the negative side of having someone who, who who wants attention and using their powers for attention and for, and for fame, the wrong ways. We're going to see that, you know, that depiction of obviously between her and She-Hulk who rejects that idea to someone who wants to embrace it. And, you know, and I think maybe you'll see, obviously, She-Hulk has to come to the point where she has to accept who she is and what that means and that responsibility that Bruce kind of talked about. So mm-hmm. Titania being like the extreme version of Jen in that way a little bit, you could say, is interesting. Um, I, I want, I was kind of bummed we didn't get Titania, you know, at this point, you know, again, so I know she's coming, you know, we're coming, we're going to see her in a little bit, but I did like that aspect too, of, of the fact that we're getting this, uh, character, uh, is a lot different from the comics. Cause I just don't really think she has much depth. So I think it's yeah. good. I think she has uh, a real motivation in this now, because when you think about like the adversarial relationship with She-Hulk, if you're somebody who's using your powers for fame and influence on social media, then you're also going to be very, or you could be, you could see how someone would be very petty, uh, very petty and very competitive about that. So if mm-hmm. you see Titania prioritizing her own fame because she's an influencer and that's what she has to do is just continue to amass more and more followers, to see She-Hulk just come out of nowhere 
and instantly get all this attention, mm. that is mm-hmm. something that I, I think could drive a character like that and, and add to giving her a place in the story. Like, why would she care about She-Hulk? Well, part of that is because She-Hulk just beat her up uh, in the courtroom. Uh, but also, I think it's that more competitive nature of it of like, wait a minute, like I'm I'm looking for the spotlight and you are taking it away from me because now everybody loves you and I've already been doing this for a while and here you are taking my spot which is not what Jennifer Walters cares about at all, but that rivalry plays into the theme of the show or one of the themes of the show, which you just go back to the very first thing that we heard Jennifer Walters say when she was rehearsing her closing argument in the opening scene of this series, and she was talking about the responsibility of those with power, right? And Mm -hmm. Jennifer Walters was of the opinion that those with power have a responsibility to help those who are powerless, And that is what she's finding herself doing as uh, what she was doing as an attorney can continue to do as an attorney, um, but also just plain flat out as a superhero in She-Hulk. Obviously, Titania doesn't see things the same way. Her responsibility as somebody with power is to just use that power to gain more power and more fame and everything for herself to use it all selfishly. So that those opposing viewpoints are are certainly what's going to drive a conflict between these two characters. And and I'm okay with the slow burn approach. Like, I, I think, you know, Titania is in jail right now or, or whatever, or getting bailed out. I can't even remember where she is at this point in, in the series uh, after the second episode. But it's okay to have a little bit of a break. And yeah, inevitably, you're going to see Titania come back around. They didn't launch all these social media accounts this week because she's done with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've still got several uh, several episodes left. But as we continue on with Jennifer Walters' struggle, she's looking to find jobs. She's been turned down for lawyer jobs all over the place. Now she's looking up mascot jobs and other odd jobs that she might be able to do with her friend Nikki, as played by Ginger Gonzaga, trying to help. And then we see that she gets a text message inviting her to family dinner. Uh, Also, the phone lock screen, the wallpaper for Jennifer Walters is America's ass. So good callback to the previous episode and Avengers Endgame. Thought that was really, really funny. But one of the highlights of the episode this week is when Jennifer Walters goes home for that family dinner and her dad, Morris Walters, opens the door and he is played by none other than Mark Lynn Baker of Perfect Strangers fame, Larry and Balky. I am, I just, I flipped for that. I don't know why, uh, but I guess that's pure nostalgia. Yeah, that's pure nostalgia for me as a kid. Uh, Larry and Balky in Perfect Strangers. uh, Loved that show as a kid. And so, and I've seen Mark Lynn Baker pop up and everything. It's not like he hasn't been working since Perfect Strangers in the late, mid to late 1980s. Uh, he's obviously been around and continued to work, but having him pop up and also be, by the way, such a good, sweet dad in this, uh, in this whole sequence, very well-meaning, if not always perfectly executed, like, oh, don't worry that you got fired. Nobody's going to bring it up because I already told everybody. Uh, so of course it's going to get brought up. But then the fact that, like, he checks in with her, like, there is the chaos of the family dinner, right? And everybody's Mm -hmm. so proud of Cousin Ched, played wonderfully by Nicholas Cirillo, uh, brand new, newly promoted Best Buy manager, Ched, who cannot mount a TV or does not know what 4K is. Um, But when he's calling it out and everybody's talking about her being fired, and Dad, again, being perfectly well-meaning, trying to get everybody to back off from Jennifer Walters, don't you know she already feels like complete crud? Um, Also, side note, 
I love dad's concern about how hazardous it must be to leave those arrows lying around. So what exactly happens when Hawkeye has those arrows? Does he go around and pick them up? Uh, Even bigger problem now that there's two of them with Clint Barton and Kate Bishop as Hawkeye. So it's a valid concern that uh, poor Mm -hmm. Mr. Walters has. But I really do. And we do know actually from Hawkeye that they try to retrieve some of the arrows when they can, but there's no way they can get them all. But the chaos of the family dinner is very funny. But I also love when funny just turns into sweet. And that's what it was when dad like just makes up an excuse. You know, can you help me with something in the garage just to be able to talk to his daughter one on one, just flat out ask her, how you doing, kiddo? And talk her through it uh, when she's talking about how she got fired and she can't land a new job all because she did the right thing. And it just as Jennifer Walters shares her feelings about all of that, I love how encouraging her dad is that. You know, you're still standing, so you know it's still okay, and you still have a chance to make a comeback, and and you know you can withstand all of this and and be the person who you are, and I think that's a, a huge thing for Jennifer Walters at this moment in her character arc is she's reluctant to be a superhero for all the reasons that she's expressed, all the things that we have seen, the consequences of her just stepping up as a superhero, even for just a couple of minutes in that courtroom at the end of episode one, but. She is a superhero, and there's not really going to be a way for her to run away from that because being a hero is who she is, not because of her powers, but because of the choices that she'll make. She's going to do the right thing. She is going to live by her own words of using whatever power she has to help those who do not have their own or do not have enough of their own in a particular situation or circumstance. So, um, yes, there's always going to be a cost for that heroism, but that's part of what makes it what it is and, and what makes a hero who they are uh, is when they are faced with that difficult choice, they still can't help but do the right thing. And that's Jennifer Walters. And, and I love that that's what the show is driving at with this character to have this very noble character arc and, and doing such great work with that and a great, great writing by Jessica Gao in this episode, great performance by Tatiana Maslany to really drive home uh, these ideas in a show that has, has tons of things that are funny and silly, but also in the emotional arcs and everything where it counts for Jennifer Walters and who she is as a character, I think they're also doing an excellent job of that. And that's what makes it such a a well-balanced show that's working on so many different levels. Yeah, I think that one of the benefits of that whole scene and the lighthearted scene we're getting is the fact that like they're they're bringing up where where you know what normal people would think about in that universe, right? Like talk about Hawkeye's arrows and things like that and 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 how like you know you're not the only Hulk in the family like I mean like that line like it cracked me up like it's it's, it's so stupid but I love it you know and it's there's it's, to me it felt very it was a very natural scene to me you know and they obviously they're, they're building up of uh, the co- other guy the cousin I forgot um is the second cousin or is it co- his brother just, yeah, his cousin is cousin, cousin Ched I think cousin is, Ched that's right yeah. I want to say Chad it was Ched it was right Ched Ched's a great while um the thing is we. I like it because it feels very natural of like, for the most part of having a normal conversation of like, where, you know, where do these arrows go in, in, in this universe that we're doing? Because again, one of the benefits of having the Marvel universe, I think the comics did a great job of building this universe that it exists and, and you build off of it. And it's, you know, it's, it's everyday life for these people. Right. And so there's that whole idea that the world's outside their window, know, this world outside their window they're experiencing, and with these TV shows, I love getting moments like this, even in, in the movies too, but 
And obviously in TV shows like Miss Marvel, I think She-Hulk have done a great job of really kind of bringing up those natural, like, you know, what these heroes have done for the society of the, you know, of the country and of the world. And I like the fact that these normal conversa- conversations are there. And it's also this very natural conversation conversation between the uh, the dad and the mom or the daughter. So there's lots of stuff here. I think they're really great and sweet, like you said, and funny. And this is the stuff that I, I'm really gravitating towards as a viewer of, I think, not just of the comic books, but just as like a, a person enjoying the show. It feels very natural. And it, I, I obviously the callback to Perfect Strangers, Cousin Larry was huge. I was like, no way, it's Cousin Larry. And got super <laughs> stoked. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, was, I was a fan of Perfect Strangers back in the day. Like a lot of us are our age, are around our age, Sean. Yep. But no, like, but it was great to see a, a moment of, of, Jennifer Walters, in my opinion, learning and adapting. And that's the one thing I really liked about the show that I wasn't necessarily pre- uh, prepared for as far as where they're going to go with it. Because I thought it was just going to be a real um, kind of a breaking the fourth wall a ton, but almost like uh, on the nose of like just not taking itself too seriously. And again, I just my assumption was a little bit, but it's been not that quite. It's been it's been fun and funny and lighthearted. But it's also been really steeped with the MCU universe, which we'll get to here in a, in a quick a couple of minutes. But I've liked what they've done so far to get up to where we're about to get into, which is my favorite parts of the uh, the episode. Yeah, there's so much good stuff in here. This was definitely one of my favorite scenes of the episode, amongst some other favorites that are coming up. So Jen is back at the bar, and she is drowning her sorrows on a budget, which means nursing one drink. But then Holden Holloway shows up, Mr. Holloway, otherwise known as the H in GLK and H, that opposing firm that Jen went up against. And she had beat them before they went ahead and had the whole thing declared a mistrial. But she made enough of an impression that now Mr. Holloway is recruiting her to come work for them because they are starting up a new superhero law division. And Jen just immediately accepts on the condition that she gets to hire her own paralegal. Holloway could not care less who Jen's paralegal is, but this means Nikki gets to continue being on the show, which, of course, she was going to continue being on the show, and that Jen was going to bring her best friend along with her. So when we get to GLK and H, Mr. Holloway is giving her uh, giving her the tour and explains the job. She's running the new superhuman law division, and Jen has to be the face of it, which means that Holloway expects her to be in court and at work as She-Hulk, not as a normal person, not as Jennifer Walters, and that actually is a condition of Jennifer Walters' employment, which does create a lot of its own legal issues, really, a big HR issue with some of that stuff. But the issue that I have with it, I teased this last week, I think, and Paul, I definitely teased this with you when we were texting about it. There's a choice they make in episode two that I think does impact some of the VFX for the show, And it is this choice, right, where Jennifer Walters needs to be She-Hulk all the time when she is at work, not just in court, not just in meetings, client meetings and stuff like that, but just sitting in her own office, walking around the office has to be She-Hulk the whole time. And I understand the creative reason for that, because Jennifer Walters is not uh, totally comfortable with her status as She-Hulk and everything that it entails. So you want to have this obstacle for the character. It creates conflict for the character, which is a good thing from a story standpoint. So I totally get the choice. At the same time, though, 
it creates VFX shots that don't always necessarily need to be VFX shots. And it just means more time having to spend rendering more frames of Jennifer Walters as She-Hulk. And I mentioned how I was pleasantly surprised at the finished product in the first episode. I don't think there are some shots of She-Hulk in here, especially the ones in the office where I don't think they look as good as some of the shots in the first episode. They're not they're not as rough as they were all the way back in the very first trailer. So I'm not trying to say the the CG is just terrible in this show and I can't get past it. Clearly I can because I am enjoying it quite a bit. It's just that some of these shots, not all of these shots are consistent. And I think it probably might have helped to allow Jennifer Walters to spend more time as Jennifer Walters in order to have fewer, uh, at least knock out a few uh, a few less shots of She-Hulk so that way the shots that you do keep can actually just be, you know, more of the time, money, resources can be devoted to making those shots look the best that they absolutely can. Again, it's not, uh, it's not a terrible thing. And generally speaking, I'm in favor of having the character appear and have more time as the screen, uh, more screen time as the superhero as, a pair, as compared to the alter ego. So generally, I'm in favor of that. I mean, we were just talking about how much we wanted more Moon Knight in Moon Knight and all of those things. So yes, it's generally true that I want a character, and this is kind of the opposite of how I normally feel, but just in order to make She-Hulk look the best she could every time that she appears, if that means uh, you know a couple scenes where it's Jennifer Walters, here and there where it's Jennifer Walters and not She-Hulk, uh, I would have been fine with that. But again, it's not something I want to dwell on too much because it's really not that big a deal. But uh, there's other good stuff that's going on here, like Nikki being there in the office and pointing out how awesome everything is. And uh, Ginger Gonzaga, I think, is just continues to be a lot of fun in this role. We also meet Pug or August uh, Puglisi, played by Josh Cigaro, who shows up with a welcome basket that includes a map to the best bathroom for pooping which is a funny joke, but also a very nice thing to do because that is essential information when you are showing up at a new place of employment at a new office. You really need to know that. And so the fact that Pug was able to save Jennifer Walters that journey of finding that perfect bathroom is one of the nicest things I've ever seen somebody do for a new person at the office in any work of fiction ever. Or real life, for that matter. Yeah, I laughed out loud. Very much when when that happened, and and it what is funny. My my wife uh, was I, I went upstairs and after I was done watching the show, and she goes, "Man, what are you watching? You're cracking up a bunch." I'm like, "I'm watching Shield." And she just kind of goes, "No, she has no interest of in watching Shield." And uh, but it, it I, stuff like this, I thought was really cleverly done and fun, and and obviously very uh, very hits close to home for most people, I'd say in some ways. Uh, but. I want it really quick about the visual effects. I don't want to always, I'll just say this. I definitely felt the drop off in this episode with her specifically, but, and I, I just want to say also that I noticed it wasn't as good, but it didn't really bother me that much either. And I think I've got, I'm getting, I think it's more of getting used to the quality of the She-Hulk character. And again, we'll see how the model gets better over time in different shows and movies and stuff. But I've, 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 I actually think she looks good. Even, even the bad times where she doesn't look as good as I think the first episode, I still think she looks pretty solid and it doesn't distract me where I'm like, this is garbage. So I just want to say that right off the bat that I, I think visual effects definitely took a Dipper, uh, dipper. I dip took down. a dipper. Um, took well, a dipper. but in fairness to She-Hulk and the effects, nobody looks their best in the fluorescent lighting of an office. Although exactly. there, there are some big windows, though. So there's a lot of natural light being let in. And yeah, it, it really is the shots in the office. And that's I think that's why it bugs me 
I shouldn't say so much because it's not like it bugs me a ton, but that is why it stood out to me in a way that wasn't quite so great is because in the office is where I feel like in general, she doesn't always need to be She-Hulk. Like the public face of the superhuman law division, I get why that needs to be She-Hulk and everything like that. But when it's just internal stuff within the company and there's no clients present, no press or anything like that, it's fine for her to be Jennifer Walters. And that might've worked better because it's actually in the office where I think those shots look the worst. Um, Mm -hmm. When she's in other environments, she still tends to look, I think, pretty good. Um, But anyway, like I said, it's not a huge deal. Did not get in my way of enjoying the show. And the show was about to get even more enjoyable when we realized the first case. Jennifer Walters has this big new job running the superhuman law division at GLKNH. And yeah, she's not not a big fan of the name She-Hulk or that she has to appear as She-Hulk all the time. But she's ready for the job until she finds out that her first case is the parole of Emil Blonsky, which GLKNH is doing for free. They're doing it pro bono because they just want the publicity. And Holloway doesn't even care when Jennifer points out rightfully and responsibly that she has a conflict. Oh, yeah, that guy, um, he only tried to murder my cousin, um, but they don't really care. And Blonsky doesn't care either. He already signed a conflict waiver, wants She-Hulk to represent him. And there is still reluctance from Jennifer Walters, except that Holloway is adamant that she take the case, basically saying that uh, either you take this case or you don't have a job here. So before Jennifer Walters decides to take the case or quit this job, she might as well meet the client. And oh, man, I <laughs> I love this client meeting so, so much when she shows up to the Department of Damage Control prison. So that's conti- damage control continuing to be a bigger and bigger entity in the MCU. We saw a not-so-great damage control prison. Is this the same one where we had the clandestines breaking out of in Miss Marvel? I hope not, because that one was extremely lax. That's not a good prison to keep Emil Blonsky in, so hopefully this is an upgraded one, and no superpowers are allowed inside, so thankfully Jennifer Walters actually gets to take a break from being She-Hulk and has a valid excuse for it. Um, And as they're going through all the security protocols and letting her know all of the danger that she is inherently in. She goes ahead and tries to make the fava beans in a nice Chianti Silence of the Lambs joke. And uh, the prison guard, played uh, played by Bruce uh, Blackshear, I thought was really, really funny in this. Like, ma'am, this is a prison. Like, just deadpans the response uh, when she tries to make the the Silence of the Lambs joke. But then uh, it goes up a notch when the legend himself, Tim Roth, returns as Emil Blonsky. First off, namaste. And we're getting a very tonally different performance from Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky. And if your wife heard you cracking up, I have to imagine it was a lot of this stuff because I was cracking up at this as Emil Blonsky is talking about transforming himself, not just physically, obviously, but also spiritually. He's found seven soulmates, seven through the prison pen pal program that he wants to start a new life with uh, that I thought was absolutely hilarious. And that's actually his plan. He just wants to live in peace on a large property that was purchased by his seven, yes, seven soulmates from that prison pen pal program. That was hilarious to me. But as funny as it all was, as somebody who watched The Incredible Hulk or has watched it many, many times, I think Blonsky did a really good job making his case for parole when he said, and a lot of the things he says are true. The whole thing started because he was on orders from the government. That's a fact. Uh, but his Harlem rampage was not government-sanctioned, as Jen points out. That is also a fact. But 
they did pump him full of that super soldier serum. He was a highly decorated soldier that was sent on a mission to take out a threat, and he thought he was the good guy. Uh, as he says, very tu- it's just very touching, very endearing from Emil Blonsky. Thought he was Captain Bloody America. Uh, really thought that he was doing the right thing, which, from his perspective, actually holds up if you go back and look at the Incredible Hulk, and I spent a lot of time examining Blonsky's motivations in The Incredible Hulk or re-examining it after watching this episode and considering it through, trying to watch it and think about it through his lens, through his perspective, and I do think he makes, as Jennifer points out later on, he makes a lot of compelling arguments as far as where his perspective was on that. If you go back to the start of it, he was just there to track down and neutralize this threat. And even the super soldier serum, he didn't sign up to have super soldier serum as far as what he specifically asks for. He was just fantasizing aloud, talking to Ross about how it would be so great to have the knowledge that he had then put in the body that he had 10 years prior. And so really, Blonsky's talking about maybe some steroids and HGH. But when Ross is saying that can be arranged, it goes on into the not-so-great version, the off-brand version of uh, Super Soldier Serum, not Erskine's brand, the off-brand version of Super Soldier Serum. And there's, uh, if you go back through the sequence of events, you could certainly make the case that it was that Super Soldier Serum that not only corrupted Blonsky's body, but also his mind, uh, which is maybe where he was at when he, on his own accord, wanted more from Dr. Samuel Stearns when he went from being Blonsky super soldier to full-blown abomination in The Incredible Hulk. It doesn't mean that Blonsky bears no responsibility. He does, and he has served time for that, and now he feels like he is rehabilitated. Uh, But it wasn't all his fault. It wasn't all his doing. It wasn't all his choices. And hey, that's actually true. So um, to make an argument for how an MCU supervillain should be able to get out of prison after a while... Blonsky made as good of an argument as I think you could make. And it does help that the the facts of The Incredible Hulk also bear out that way. Yeah, this was great, obviously. Tim Roth is just a phenomenal actor. And I, it's weird. I haven't seen him in too much stuff in, in mainstream stuff lately. So I'm not sure if he's done a bunch of independent films. But I've always loved films he's in, man. Yeah. He's, he's a great actor. It's also re- um, He's also really underrated when it comes to how funny he can be. Because I yeah. think a lot of his performances aren't necessarily... I mean, some are, but a lot of performance aren't necessarily known for that. And certainly not his work in the MCU and The Incredible Hulk. Like, he... Right. He doesn't really get comedic bits in that movie. So when he comes when he comes at it from that perspective here, because we mm-hmm. only really knew Blonsky for a short period of time with a, yeah. a specific set of tasks. So to round out this character and allow him to have more personality, some of which I'm sure has developed in his time in prison. Um, but I thought that was a really cool choice to make. And you could say it's a it's a risk to take to you know have a character who's just supposed to be intimidating and have him uh, have some silliness to him and, and have some comedic bits. But Tim Roth, when you have uh, the ability that he has as an actor, he's able to pull it off and, and do it so well. I think one of the one of the benefits of having She-Hulk uh, is to basically, you know, what they did in this episode, which was acknowledge the Incredible Hulk for once and embrace it and kind of poke fun at it. And I think that's, you know, we'll get to that part here in a second with, with Bruce here in a minute. But with, with Tim Roth and the Abomination and Blonsky, what I think was great was when he started just talking in his regular accent. And I was like, what the? I'm like, wait a minute. 
and, and I, I kind of realized, oh, he's talking about transformation. I love the fact that he brought, taught on Russian-born, raised, uh, you know, raised American, raised British, and then born, you know, American soldier. I was like, oh my god, like that, it's it's perfect because yeah. he's all over the place. And you, well, and that was trust? his backstory too in the Incredible Hulk because he had his British accent in the Incredible Hulk thing. He never tried. Blonsky never tried to have. They never tried to have a Russian accent for Emil Blonsky in the MCU. But I thought I thought he had more. He still had an American accent in in uh. In, uh, in Incredible Hulk, I thought it, it, I know it even, but with acting, sometimes it kind of blurs a little bit, you know, um, with, with whatever. I didn't I don't remember him having I, it's been a minute since I've seen Incredible yeah, Hulk. It's but. it's still British. It's maybe not as pronounced as uh, as it is here. OK, yeah, because he I is on he is on loan from, you know, the, the British. Like, he, yeah, right, he, you're right, you're right. yeah he, he's he, not he, an American soldier in the Incredible Hulk. OK, OK, so um, so I, I looked at it that and said, OK. He definitely, it's way more uh, stronger in the scene, but it felt like, okay, it just, it's going a different direction in a sense to where he's different. He's, he's obviously evolved himself, you know, physically and mentally he bringing that up. And it was great fun uh, seeing him kind of add, it seems like he ad libbed all that. It seems like they probably said, just go, you know, I mean, he's, he's probably such a good, you know, actor and probably come up, you know, his own improv, his own stuff. It felt it all felt very natural. It also felt with the whole pen pal thing, like, are those the other Thunderbolts? Maybe, you know, like I thought about that um, for a second. Um, I don't think so, but I, I thought about it. it. It was this was a great interaction to see two great actors working off of each other. And I and I just loved it. Um, and it, I will say this, and this is me just being just kind of bummed. But like seeing how old Tim Roth got, it's like, man, like time sucks but also just like it just reminds me of the these actors in in the MCU if they if it doesn't ever doesn't get rebooted for a long time there's a shelf life in some ways a little bit as far as like you know how long these actors will be keep playing these different characters and 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 abomination and 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 like ruffalo like obviously they can just be monsters and you can just kind of just voice them for a long time too if you need to but it's just it's it's just man it's like man time just it flies, bro. And so it's seeing Tim it Roth. It does, but I, I still think Tim Roth looks, I mean, time has great, time sure. has passed, but I think uh, Tim Roth still looks great. And yeah, he's he's definitely ready, if called upon, to go play Emil Blonsky in Abomination and Thunderbolts or whatever else sure. uh, in the MCU. Like, he, clearly he's up for it. And I think, I, I do think, maybe there's some improvisation here. I also think there's just a lot of great writing in the script here sure. for Emil Blonsky. And man, I really loved his haikus of sorrow. Uh, that's how he wanted to make amends to people is he wrote everybody uh, oh. haikus is just I I love that so much. Uh, that that was another thing that just made me laugh so hard in this episode. And the uh, callback to it later is my favorite part. Yeah. So all of that stuff, it, it was just so on point. Great writing, great performance. And he did a good job of motivating Jennifer Walters to make a decision and allowing herself to take his case. But first... She wants to talk about it with Bruce, and it, it begins the call as if it's the question, like, seeking his approval, permission. But really, she's just telling him, and, and he calls it out, that you're just telling me that you're taking the job, which obviously means that she's taking the case. But I think she makes some good points in her opening ramble to Bruce about this, mm -hmm. you know, the whole idea of redemption and second chances. And, you know, Blonsky has served a lot of time, so can he become a better person and is it worth trying to see if he can become a better person and, and maybe he wasn't that bad to begin with and, and got corrupted some of those things he's responsible for some of those things he isn't and factor in all of those things and bruce is uh, is up for that because he says you know what that fight was so many years ago 
I'm a completely different person now, literally. And die. Just deadpan delivery, and then Jennifer oh, Walters, God. two camera, breaking the fourth wall, ha-ha, acknowledging the joke. And it was so funny. I, I absolutely loved it to have an in-story recognition of, yes, the recasting. Uh, he was literally a different person in The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton playing the role of, of Bruce Banner, a.k.a. Hulk in that. And... um I just I loved that so much, and I love that the MCU gets to do that, and and this show is is the one that that actually gets to do it and take the MCU into that territory. I mean, there's other things that have poked fun at the MCU, and the MCU has had opportunities to poke fun at itself, like when they made fun of the lullaby last week. That's not the first time that the MCU made fun of the lullaby. They did it in Thor Ragnarok as well. So now the MCU will uh, will call out some of those things, but. She-Hulk provides them an opportunity to do it in a different way that they haven't been able to before and to do this. And I, I think what I love about it, though, is, is yes, it's silly, but I don't really think it's making fun of the Incredible Hulk. Like, I don't think it's doing it in this mean way of saying, can you believe we made this movie? I don't really think that's what it is. I, I think it is acknowledging a, a recasting that happened for whatever reason. And, but now we've, of course, moved forward. We moved forward long ago in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but this is bringing Incredible Hulk back into the fold in a way and just saying like, yeah, it's part of it. It's part of the story. Um, and we can laugh about some of the things that are di- that are different since then, but it still is here and it's still part of it. And I think that's where, you know, the there's been kind of, for a long time, it felt like the Incredible Hulk was just this forgotten movie that was barely part of the MCU until they brought Ross back in Captain America Civil War and so it's not like She-Hulk is starting that, but this is probably the most meaningful way that we've seen something new in the MCU put its arm around the Incredible Hulk and say, you're still here, buddy. And they do it in such a fun way throughout the course of this episode um, that really kind of culminates with this very, very funny joke. I just, I, I couldn't have loved it more. This was the perfect way to acknowledge what happened and man this is this is i think pretty pretty clever i thought in my opinion when he's talking about the abomination he's like you know oh that stuff's ancient history i'm I'm a completely different person yeah literally i was like oh my god that was perfect like it's so it's so meta it's amazing uh it was a great uh because obviously Professor Hulk, yes, I say Professor, uh, and now you have him, you know, acknowledging the, the change of also that he's not, you know, Edward Norton. That was perfect. God, it was great. Uh, I also love the fact, again, that he brought up the haiku. He's like, he was really nice. He sent me a haiku. Yeah, a heartfelt, or, heartfelt oh haiku. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I died. I was like, yes. See, I, that, was my first, that was my favorite part of the payoff of the haiku. Haiku was great when, when Tim Roth was brought it up. But when, when Bruce brought it up, I went, oh, my God, perfect. Yep. So great, great, great scene. Yeah, just so good. Um, so just wildly entertaining and funny and, and also just kind of sweet, uh, but also exciting at the very end of this. I mean, I like that uh, also Bruce loves the name She-Hulk because, yeah, obviously the guy who uh, has his implied endorsement of the name Smart Hulk is also going to like the name She-Hulk. Big fan of names that are extremely on the nose, Bruce Banner is. Uh, and so that makes sense to him uh, for him to approve of the name. He also titles the show She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. So there we go, just continuing to be meta uh, in this show. And But then we see at the end of the scene that Smart Hulk is now in outer space aboard that Sakaran ship that we saw at the beginning of, because uh, mm. he said that in, in episode one, that he was going to have to go, he was going to have to look into that to see what they wanted. Well, now what they want is taking Hulk presumably back to Sakaar, because it, it is a Sakaran ship, but maybe it could be elsewhere. 
which has driven a lot of speculation this week about World War Hulk because they didn't really go there. In Thor Ragnarok, there was some Planet Hulk-esque material in Thor Ragnarok, but not quite World War Hulk. And now that you have another Hulk on the scene with She-Hulk, possibly more Hulks on the way. If somebody can get a hold of that different in a better way, Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk blood, uh, if that becomes an issue, as Bruce Banner teased that it ominously suggested that it might back in the first episode, uh, yeah, this could set up some stuff that's a, a big Hulk story somewhere in the MCU. And it just leaves me wondering, somebody's got to talk to Kevin Feige, like, where? what's the status of the Hulk rights with distribution? Can you make a Hulk movie at this point and put it out? Because I don't think World War Hulk is a Disney Plus show. I think it's too expensive to be a Disney Plus show. Maybe they'll prove me wrong on that, but it feels more like something that would be a movie. Um, but I would also say it doesn't have to be World War Hulk. It doesn't have to be specifically a World War Hulk movie. They can continue borrowing elements from those stories as they have been, and carrying them out in other movies and other Disney Plus series as we've seen them uh, do over the with examples like Thor Ragnarok. So how it takes shape, I don't know, but clearly bigger things are going on in uh, the world of Hulk slash Hulks, and I am totally here for it. Don't know exactly where it's going to go. Uh, we talked about things speculated last week about Dr. Samuel Stearns coming back uh, as perhaps the leader with that oversized brain. We talked about Red Hulk. We talked about all these other things that could be part of uh, the future of these characters in the MCU somewhere uh, in the MCU. We're not sure exactly where, but clearly they're building more uh, more Hulk stuff. And as a, a tried and true uh, bleeding green Hulk fan uh, for such a long time, I'm totally here for it and excited. To, don't know, again, how exactly it takes shape, but something is happening. Something is on the way, and I'm very excited about that. Well, it definitely feels with Disney Plus Day coming up, and if there is going to be a new Hulk movie, if the rights or, or the distribution has been figured out one way or another, then they're definitely leading up to something. And I would not be shocked to find out maybe they've kept something super secret under wraps about, oh, for the most part, for a Hulk movie of some kind. Because I don't think, you know, with, with Ragnarok, well, you were able to put Hulk into Planet Hulk, mm -hmm. you know, that aspect of it, and it works. You could, I, I, obviously there's creative ways of maybe you can do a world war, Hulk, world war, world war Hulk and not have it be a TV series, or maybe they're going to, I, I don't think so. Like you said, it's too expensive. I think you have to flesh out world war Hulk too. Cause the comic book exactly. itself is not a movie. It's, you yeah. know, it's like a gigantic third. Cause it really immediately follows planet Hulk. And it's really more of like a five issue third act of a story is the yeah. way World War Hulk plays out. So uh, the MCU struck that though. No, like it's it would be like anything else where they should use the name because the name is cool exactly. as hell. Yeah. But they will totally Yeah, but they will totally tell their own version of it and and it will be a, a very different story. It'll be Planet uh, which Hulk I'm here for. Yeah. I think it'll be a combination of probably Planet with World War and Fall of Hulks. Like all those three things, well, those three storylines, they were kind of all you know, coordinated with Jeff Loeb and uh, Greg Pak and every and it probably encompass all all aspects of those ideas and put them into this one movie with maybe with with Scar, Son of Hulk, also obviously as probably is going to be involved in some, some ways. So that's where I'm going leaning towards. It's it's going to be something like that with World War Hulk be the name of it, but they're taking all like just like in classic MCU fashion, 
taking the best parts of all those different aspects and creating a, a really fun and maybe a unique story for the Hulk that we've been wanting to see for a long time. So I think we're, but I definitely feel like this, the planet Hulk is going to have pl play heavily into it. If it is going to be in fact a movie, but I, I hope it is a Hulk movie, not just a, uh, you know, and maybe because it's multiple Hulks, it's, you know, they don't have to, if it's not like a Hulk movie solo wise. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's, know. Yeah, that's where we, that's where I just don't know how it works. I, I can't sure. say exactly. Cause I was surprised that they were even able to make a She-Hulk Disney plus show. So clearly there's a lot of this stuff that's still kind of murky and, you know, Kevin Feige had kind of hinted that maybe those issues were resolved and maybe they could make a Hulk movie that Disney would be able to distribute. So that's the only way it's going to get made by the way. So I don't know, maybe they've got those things cleared up. We'll see. But I think they're doing a really good job of creating some excitement for more Hulk yeah. stuff down the line, while cool. also keeping this story very much focused on Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk. And she is going to take the job, but that job right after she accepts it immediately becomes harder because now there is video proof that Blonsky had somehow at some point escaped from prison to participate in an underground fight club as we see that battle that we saw between the Abomination and Wong in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, to which Jennifer Walters just turns the camera and says, oh, that sucks. Because, uh, yeah, her job, her brand new job that she was reluctant to accept in the first place and then did, now it gets a lot harder. And I love that. I, I love crossing it over with very present-day MCU stuff with Shang-Chi, and I know when you initially see this, that that might create some timeline questions because Shang-Chi is supposed to have happened before She-Hulk because Banner's arm wasn't healed yet and all of those things. I would just say, uh, wait a little bit <laughs> before uh, you go too, too wild with those questions to see exactly how things might be fitting uh, in the timeline. Uh, but I, I think we knew that that had to come up at some point because we knew that Blonsky was still a prisoner while uh, that fight was happening with Wong in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. So uh, I, and I, I just love that sort of MCU cross-pollination and, and do it in ways that are fun, that totally work, but don't come at the expense of the main story that you're telling and the main character that that story is about with Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk. So um, all of that works for me. Great ending to the episode. Um, also, you know, just more of a, a silly tag this week with Ched. I don't know what 4K is. Here's the thing. Nobody does, but you still need it. Uh, and then She-Hulk doing all the heavy lifting around the house to help out dear old dad and the rest of the family. So, uh, and Ched, you know, after the TV's mounted, I could have done that. Um, apparently not, cousin Ched. But uh, I, all of this stuff, great ending to the episode, a nice fun tag at the end of the episode. It just works for me. It's, a no, it's another big win. I, I said before that, the first episode was my favorite, but that's purely from my Hulk bias. Uh, this was still an incredibly, no pun intended, entertaining episode that was really, really funny. But as I was saying before, it was good in places that that really counted and, and really made it emotionally resonate, not just be a barrel of laughs, which it was, but also be very heartfelt, not as a forgiveness haiku, but as a making amends haiku but really the character stuff, the character arc that Jennifer Walters is on and really more of, and it's almost this journey of self-acceptance, not just the idea of being She-Hulk because of the physical transformation that that entails, 
but being a superhero. And it's not even really Jennifer Walters having to acknowledge that's who she's become. Um, that's part of it, but it's also who she's always been and what this was always going to mean for her um, if she ever got powers like she has, uh, is she couldn't help but be the hero that she is because she she has that conscience, she knows what the right thing to do is, and there's no way she's going to do anything other than that when, when faced with those difficult choices, even knowing uh, all of the bad things that it could mean for her on the other side of it. That's what makes her a hero, and the ep this episode does a great job of showcasing that while still being a really funny half-hour comedy. I was pretty surprised by the the reveal at the end. I, I maybe I was unaware this was public knowledge. Again, I try to avoid things as much as possible. But I thought the the whole abomination thing was just it, this took place um, afterwards after Shang Chi, and when that I mean obviously it still does, but you know what I mean. Like I thought it was like you know well after or whatever, um, and it was just really weird to me seeing that. I went oh god and. I loved it. I that to me made me fall in love with the episode even more because you're just taking that small aspect from you know Shang Chi, which again you're implanting that for multiple reasons, right? Like obviously from that movie, um, you know, setting up Thunderbolts, obviously She Hulk, Wong too. What the heck is Wong up to? He's got something going on, and what this whole prison thing is, and what that and that all in the place of Shang-Chi of establishing like this place is seedy, whatever it, it, ser it serves so many different purposes, but when yeah. you see it reflected in how it's, it's going to affect this show, I just love that. I, that's the interconnected uh, tissue of the MCU that I love that the comic books have always embraced and have fully gone in on. And that's why we love these universes so much because they do speak to each other so much and how one thing like that will affect this whole series. Like it, it becomes the crux of the entire like series essentially now. And so that's awesome. And now how that's going to serve Thunderbolts and whatnot and who, who knows what else afterwards. I don't know. Obviously, we got, you know, whatever, whatever's going on with Hulk, you know, Bruce Banner with going to Sakaar again. So. There's great things in this episode of, of, I think, building off of the MCU by having a really good time doing it. It just, again, I, I, I'm applauding the show for just being a that short runtime and embracing it and having it be a pretty crisp episode. And I, I enjoy it. I, I didn't felt uh, I didn't feel leaving the episode being like this is too short or it was too long. It felt like it was baby bear. It was just right, you know. And I feel like they really made, are hitting on. Uh, maybe the time for these for these episodes and maybe for Marvel episodes going forward that they, they can as they do more uh, series and, and more sh and shows, whatever, they can get a feel for the episode uh, length and, can, and really kind of feel that what's best for the episode and the series, because I feel like these are just hitting the, the mark completely as far as pacing goes. And I really enjoy uh, what we're getting and, and appreciate that they're not just, you know, being long winded. It's it's very, very crisp. So, yeah, I I love this ending a lot. I thought it was great. I love the interconnectivity, the interconnectivity of it all, and uh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Honestly, yeah, it's been a, a total blast. And look, it was only a matter of time. Like we knew that Blonsky went back to prison, so what looks like an escape, it was only temporary. Like we saw Blonsky go back where he came from at the end of that fight in uh, in Shang Chi, but. Uh, I think it was inevitable that something like that would leak because we know that it was being streamed on the dark web, right? So if it's being streamed somewhere, the video could get out. And uh, it, it certainly calls into question why the video uh, leaked. Per, I mean, most 
Most notably, we knew this was going to be a highly publicized case. That's why GLK and H wanted the case. That's why they're doing it for free. And so certainly if somebody doesn't want Blonsky to get out of prison, but one of the best ways that you uh, can try to achieve that goal to keep him there is to show that, uh, yeah, he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be uh, while he was supposed to be in prison. So are they do? is that someone who's trying to just hurt Emil Blonsky? Is that someone who's trying to hurt She-Hulk? Uh, only time will tell uh, as we go on here. So, uh, but overall, I, I think this was just another terrific episode. And I'm really excited to go and, and rewatch uh, episode three next week and be able to talk about it in this spoiler review series. Because yeah, She-Hulk is just... It's really winning right now, and I'm such a huge fan of the direction that this series is going in and, and everything and, and how it's been executed up until this point. Everybody's just doing really such great, has just been doing such, or has done just such great work on uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law and can't wait to talk about it more. But the next thing we're going to talk about is over on Fan Show Plus, Paul UT's Disney Plus Day, although I, I don't know that Disney Plus Day will be as big on announcements as what's happening two days later. That's the Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm presentation, emphasis on Marvel Studios for the purposes of this show and what we're going to talk about on Fan Show Plus. There's going to be a lot of news that day, or there should be, uh, on Saturday, September 10th, and one of those might be an official announcement that Matt Shackman is directing Fantastic Four, because we know via the trades that he is in talks for that job. Uh, more news has come out today that has essentially made it even more likely that it is a done deal that Kevin Feige will probably announce at D23 Expo if Marvel doesn't do uh, make an official announcement uh, sometime before that. But at this point, it's only a couple weeks away. Why not save it for D23 Expo? But Matt Shackman as the director of Fantastic Four, replacing John Watts, who stepped down from the job a few months ago. What do we think about that? We will discuss it over on Fan Show Plus, that podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts if you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel and subscribe over there. And make sure you keep up with us on social at, uh, at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And again, as always, if you are enjoying the show, we really would appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts because it certainly helps out. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We just did a, a bunch of episodes for MCU recently, and uh, go check those out. A playlist called The MCU Required Reading. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. So, yeah, check it out there. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So, for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>